It was a few minutes after 7 a.m. I, I want you to let this scene play out in your mind. The sun is streaming through her kitchen windows on a fresh Maryland day, and Jan Peterson scooped hot eggs onto five plates next to scrapple and fried apple rings. Eric, she called, go tell Dad breakfast is ready. Yes, ma'am, Eric answered. He ran to the stairs that led down to his father's study and stopped short. He knew his dad would be intensely focused and immersed in quiet. (laughs) With a nine-year-old's mischief, he tiptoed down the stairs. He stepped onto the chilly tiled floor and walked (laughs) cat-like to the study door. Most days, his dad, Eugene Peterson, you may know him as the writer of the message, a paraphrase of the Bible, the one that we use here at More Than Bread. Most days, Eugene spent an hour before breakfast reading scripture and a second hour reading commentaries, a hand-me-down desk set under a single window beside a bookshelf packed to the ceiling, a rocking chair, the favorite seat for reading set in the corner, fluorescent lights hung from the ceiling. But Eugene rarely flipped on the cold lights. A lamp on the desk shed a warmer glow. The old communion table from their church, Christ our King, set against the wall, holding a pottery chalice and plate ready for wine and bread. Alongside them set a single white candle with about a year's worth of wax splattered over its container. Picture a a monk's cell. This is Pastor Pete's space. Eric, his son, turned the knob slowly, silently. He peered through the crack, and even now, decades later, as he tells the story to Wynn Collier, who would write the biography of his father's life, even now Eric's eyes get a little wet as he shares the memory. A small woven rug lay on the tile floor before his dad's desk. Candlelight flickered. Eugene rested on his knees with a tallit, a tasseled Jewish prayer shawl wrapped around his shoulders, a Hebrew psalter on the floor in front of him. He rocked gently, engrossed in the world of the scriptures, surrendering to ancient prayers. Eric watched with a holy hush, and he slowly closed the door and crept back upstairs. He was only a boy, but he knew that he had witnessed something holy. You see, he had stumbled upon a moment of worship, his dad in the presence of his father. I read those words in Wynn's book, A Burning in My Bones, and if you haven't read it, you should. It, It just kind of brought a holy hush to my breathing. It caused me to breathe deeply, imagining Eugene breathing deeply of the breath of God, breathe deeply of the amazing presence of Christ. So welcome to the podcast, More Than Bread. This is episode number 89. We are closing in on 100 episodes. I, I don't know what I'll do to celebrate when we hit 100, but we are closing in on 100. I'm Dan, Dan Nold, your host for this podcast and your guide, I guess, of a sort through the scriptures. More Than Bread is a podcast that deeply values the Word of God. And I shared that story as we began, at least in part, Because Eugene Peterson was a man who deeply valued the Word of God. A number of his books have helped me to treasure Scripture. But I also share it because the two stories we're looking at today. I I, I want you to imagine them as stumbling into a moment of worship. I want you to put yourself there, perhaps in the skin of one who gets healed, or perhaps in the sandals of the crowd, or maybe place yourself in the story as a friend and follower of Jesus. 
So listen as, in as we, we stumble into a couple of moments of worship. I'm reading from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37 in the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. She fell at his feet. Now, you got to understand, in, in part, these are my words, in, in part, the falling at his feet is a, it, it's the posture of someone who is begging. But but in part, we, we see in Matthew's rendition of the story, in part, it is also a, it's a posture of worship. It's a posture of worship. So she came and she fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home. Your daughter is healed. The demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears and then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed. My words here, don't miss this. They have stepped into, stumbled into a moment of worship. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and give speech to those who cannot speak. This first moment of worship is a, a moment between Jesus and a woman, and that's primarily where we're going to camp out for the rest of this podcast. And and, and I just I want you to just stop and take a deep breath because it's it's kind of a hard story. She falls at his feet because her daughter is spiritually oppressed. Evil darkness has invaded her life. Now, whether or not you believe in demons, I, I do. Um, but even if you don't, you know that there are times. When, when an evil darkness just seems to invade life, we see that culturally. We see it personally in the lives of friends. Maybe you felt it in your own life. There are times when it seems like we're battling evil forces for the opportunity to thrive. In fact, from a biblical worldview, true worship throws our enemy into attack mode. If there's anything the enemy wants to win, it's our worship. But for a moment, let's step away from the specifics and simply put it this way. She has a daughter. Her daughter is tormented emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Mom has done everything she can. That's what mothers do, but nothing has worked. Her daughter's life has been shaped by torment. Unseen forces have busted her heart, confused her mind, and just made life hard. And right now, her daughter is her greatest need. Nothing is more important. She goes to Jesus for one thing, her greatest, deepest need. She's going to Jesus to see if he can give her the one thing that at that moment matters to her the most in the whole world. Jesus, would you heal my daughter? And let me just say, moments of worship often begin with a need. 
and usually involve a battle. (laughs) It's not just about Sunday morning attendance in a building. It's not just about singing a song. Moments, deep moments of true, authentic worship often begin with a desperate need and usually involve a battle. And if that's where you're at, if need and battle is where you're at, you're not all that far from worship. She comes to Jesus with this need. She's pleading, Jesus, help my daughter. Have mercy on me. Matthew tells us that at first Jesus ignored her. She cries out for mercy and Jesus said nothing, no reply, not even a word. If you love Jesus, it's not what you expect. Matthew shares his story in Matthew 15. And and not only does Jesus ignore her at first, but the disciples tell Jesus to send her away. And, And then when Jesus finally speaks, it gets worse. He tells her, my own tribe comes first. My own people come first. I sent to help God's lost sheep, the Jews, not you. Now, let me fill in a bit of the backstory. Jesus has gone up north for a little R&R, and this woman comes with her desperate needs. She lives in the region of Tyre and Sidon. The Israelites despised these people. The Jewish historian Josephus, writing around the time of Christ, called the people of Tyre our most bitter enemies. In other words, she's an outsider, true outsider. She does not have an inside track to Jesus. She's She's an outcast, and, and she knows it. So when she comes to Jesus, she comes she comes begging this posture of humility. I don't deserve it. <laughs> and Jesus basically calls her a dog. It isn't right to take food from the children and give it to the dogs, he says to her. And in this moment, she has to decide, split-second moment, She has to decide, how great is my need and how much do I value my daughter? Can't you almost hear it echo in her heart, this cry that comes from desperation as well as, I guess, faith? Some of you are thinking, yeah, but I'm not even sure God cares. Neither was she. I mean, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh told her that she wasn't his priority. (laughs) You're only guessing. He told her. And be honest, haven't we all gone through times when we wondered if God cares? Haven't you gone through times when you wondered if God cares? Doesn't that make it hard to worship? I mean, every stinking unanswered prayer we pray leaves room for the question, does God care? If he cared, I'd worship him. It's so hard when we start to wonder if God cares. (laughs) When we start to wonder if he loves us, it's such a short step to wondering if we're lovable. And and the shame kind of rises up, like, must be something wrong with me. Guilt is when I feel bad about something I did. Shame is when I feel bad about someone that I am. And don't you imagine the shame is just rising a little bit in this woman's heart? Like, I wasn't a good enough mother to help my daughter. Now I can't even get God's attention, Jesus' attention. I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. This is shame, but this woman just won't stop. She won't stop pursuing Jesus. She she won't stop pleading. She's travailing, pleading with hope, groaning for new life, for the turn of a page into a new chapter. I don't know. Do you, do you realize that sometimes helpless desperation is our greatest prayer and our deepest worship? In fact, like I said, Matthew uses that description. Matthew 15, 25 through 27, it says, she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. <laughs> And Jesus responded, it isn't right to take bread from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall beneath their master's table. This is a moment of worship, persistent pleading. Listen to me. Persistent pleading is passionate worship. 
Worship is, is, is far more than what we do in a building on a weekend. It's more than a song on a Sunday. True worship is initiated by God in the intersections of real life, sometimes hard life, really hard life. And if we have hearts to see, sometimes we might be surprised where God shows up and worship happens. Because sometimes the most elegant, most powerful worship encounters found when we cry, Lord, help me. Sometimes it happens at the bedside of a dying mother or late at night as we cry out for our marriage. Sometimes it happens with a few friends around a kitchen table or as we love our neighbors or give sacrificially. It can happen in the workplace as we give our very best when only God will know. And yes, it can even happen in a building on a Sunday as we sing a song. (laughs) And how does Jesus respond to this woman's worship? (laughs) Well, first he calls her a dog. Now, before you cancel Jesus, Jesus is not having a bad day, doesn't have a compassion problem. Listen, there is never a time when Jesus doesn't have your best interest in his heart. He just knows that sometimes there's something even more important than a quick answer. It's hope leading to faith. And and every time this woman chooses to stay, every time she perseveres, every time she chooses to hope instead of walk away, her faith grows. It's odd. It's ironic how this works, but it does. She replied to Jesus, that's true, but even dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall beneath their master's table. Uh, let me just kind of pull out for a wide lens view as you're listening to me. I, I don't I don't know if you do this. I, I keep um, encouraging you to do it. But when I read the scriptures, the gospels especially, I usually identify with someone. I put myself in their sandals and think about what I would do or how I would feel if I were them. And usually we, or at least I, I, I identify with one of the disciples. We, we like to identify with the heroes, not the villains. <laughs> We, we love to identify with the strong, not the helpless. Can I suggest to you that at this moment of history, we are the American evangelical church is this woman. I mean, if there's any group of Jesus followers in the world today who should relate to this woman, it's us. <laughs> we think we're the ones entitled to all the blessings of God. We think that we're the ones who are top priority of the Spirit of God. We're the ones at the very center of what Jesus is doing in the world today, but it's just not true. Sometimes I think if God wasn't omnipresent, we wouldn't even be able to find him here. We would find Jesus building the church of Iran, the fastest growing church in the world, or Afghanistan, maybe hanging out in South Korea or Africa. The geographic center of the church has moved to the global south. I mean, to be honest, it would be hard for me to say that the American church is God's priority. It's far easier for me to say It might be good for us to come to Jesus with the humility of an outsider, maybe even a bit covered with shame and whisper. Jesus, maybe we don't sit at the table and we're not entitled to the whole feast, but how about a crumb, Jesus? Do you have a crumb for me, for us? We've got nowhere else to go, just a crumb. See, it's really hard to worship with a spirit of entitlement, but humility will create a space in his presence. You know, I I see a lot of arrogance and pride in the American church. We hunger for comfort and control. We're greedy with entitlement. And I like to say, I mean the church in general, not Calvary, not my church, not your church specifically. But come on, we're, we're part of the church in general. I see too much pride in me. I see too much entitlement in me. But here's the good thing. He's God. 
With a word he created the world. With a sneeze he parted the waters of the Red Sea. A day is like a thousand years to him, and nothing is too hard for him. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and just a day in his presence is worth thousands elsewhere. Do you understand? Just a crumb from this God is enough blessing for all eternity. And I don't know, it might be good for us to come to God with humility and just ask him for a crumb (laughs) that we don't deserve. See, I I think this Jesus encounter, this moment of worship, this woman stepped into, stumbled into, for for her it was a it was a test. It was a test of worship and faith, and and she aced it. (laughs) In fact, in Matthew's story, we hear Jesus say, Your faith is great. The the second moment of worship, well, I'll just let you dive into that one as I read the two stories again, but just remember this. Sometimes the most elegant, the most impactful, the most powerful, life-changing worship encounters are found when we simply cry out the words, Lord, help me. Let me read just a, a portion of Mark 7, verses 24 through 37 from the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Starting in verse 24, it says, From there Jesus set out for the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house from where he entered a house there where he didn't think he would be found, but he couldn't escape notice. He was barely inside when a woman who had a disturbed daughter heard where he was. She came and knelt at his feet, begging for help. The woman is Greek, Syrophoenician by birth. She asked him to come and cure her daughter. He said, stand in line and take your turn. <laughs> the children get fed first. If there's any left over, the dogs get it. She said, of course, master. But don't dogs under the table get scraps dropped by the children? Jesus was impressed. You're right. On your way, your daughter is no longer disturbed. The demonic affliction is gone. She went home and found her daughter relaxed on the bed, the torment good gone for good. Then he left the region of Tyre, went through Sidon, back to Galilee Lake, and over to the district of the Ten Towns. Some people brought a man who could neither hear nor speak and asked Jesus to lay a healing hand on him. He took the man off by himself, put his fingers in the man's ears and some spit on the man's tongue. And then Jesus looked up in prayer, groaned mightily, and commanded, Ephathapha, open up. And it happened. The man's hearing was clear. His speech was plain, just like that. Jesus urged them to keep it quiet, but they talked about it all the more beside themselves with excitement. He's done it all and done it well. He gives hearing to the deaf, speech to the speechless. Father God, I pray for each and every person listening to the sound of my voice right now. And I just say, God, I want for every one of us to be able to stumble into moments of worship like this. I pray that you would take the pride out of our hearts. I pray that you would give us humble hearts, humble hearts that would create a space for us to encounter you. I pray that you would refine, that you would rip out every sense of entitlement that I have, that we have, that any of us have, and let us come to you with a posture of humility a posture of of mercy. God, be merciful to us. God, I pray for each and every person who, who needs a moment of worship. 
God, maybe it occurs on a Sunday morning singing a song, but maybe it occurs out in the intersections of real life, dealing with real problems, loving neighbors who who, who are desperately in need of you, however it happens. Jesus, would you make yourself known to us so that we would worship you? I ask these things in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.